Hello, my name is Philip Miriton, and today we're going to have a conversation beyond science and religion. Breaking new ground in thinking, exploring the outer limits of what we know about the world and ourselves, unhindered by common beliefs and perceptions. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, taking on subjects from the Big Bang, the multiverse, and evolution, to the supernatural and the new rising consciousness. This is where scientists, philosophers, New Agers, and spiritualists come together to discuss where this world may be heading. Now, here's your host, lawyer, philosopher, and the author of The Heaven at the End of Science, Philip Meriton. The title of today's show is Finding Your Own Intuition. Now, the word intuition is something that we're all familiar with. We all have heard about it, but in some ways, it's still a mysterious concept. We all know that it is something good to follow your intuition, but what is the source of intuition? How can we access it better so that we could fulfill our whole potential as human beings? How can we move from the left brain, as some would say, to a more right brain way of thinking. Now, I'm very happy to have as my guest today to talk about this topic, Susanna Axia, who's joining us from Italy, is kind enough to join us, and she herself has been on her own path, changing from a business world profession to understanding her own source of of intuition she is now the gap coach where she teaches people how to get into better touch with their own intuition and today we're going to learn a lot about intuition and about how each of us can do a better job of finding out what our true spiritual self is welcome to the show Susanna hi and thanks so much for having me I'm really looking forward to today's chat well, it's very good of you to join us uh, from Italy. It's one of my favorite countries, and uh, I hope that the day is very beautiful out there for you. It's pretty nice here uh, where I'm at outside of Chicago. But let's first talk about your own sort of transition. And I'm using the word transition. It could be evolution. But you yourself, something must have happened to you to move from the business world, from the, from the corporate world of being a troubleshooter to what you are today which is an intuition coach what why don't you talk to us a little bit about what happened to you that led to this transition oh what a great starting point okay well i'll try and keep it very brief because it's a it's a story that spans the first uh, four decades of my life really uh but to put it simply um I was on a search for me. I believe totally in balance. Uh, Jung says, one of my heroes says that uh, in order to be really healthy, a human being needs a balance between three activities. He says that we, we need a, a, an active physical life, an active spiritual life, and an active uh, intellectual life. And... I mean, I was literally, you know, looking, 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 and nothing seemed to give me what I was looking for. And it was a very, very slow process of revealing myself to me until uh, a, a heart attack at the age of 40, a few months after the heart attack when I was recovering, gave me an aha moment. And I just sat up in bed in total frustration and just said to the universe, okay, you get to row this boat because I'm obviously not capable of rowing it anymore. I'm making all the wrong decisions. So this is me. This is the boat. You get to row it. There seems to be something that is pervasive throughout life in general. And that is at some point, each of us searches for meaning. Sometimes it occurs on, you know, early. Sometimes it occurs on... Uh, the deathbed and all spaces in between and it reminds me I think I think the book was by Carl Jung it, I think the book is called Man's Search for Meaning and yeah. in, in today's day and age it seems to me that we have a lot of people searching 
for sort of a, a spiritual core or spiritual meaning. And it sounds to me like what you went through is similar. What, is this a spiritual yearning you had, or is it, or is it a question? No, of, it absolutely wasn't. It was, um, I grew up in a beautifully dysfunctional family, not just one, but quite a few. <laughs> and <laughs> so that ensured that I had to do some pretty serious work on myself. And what I was looking for was Jung's sense of balance, really, without really knowing without being, without consciously looking for it. I was looking for something that didn't satisfy one area of my life. My, my work as a corporate troubleshooter in the city of London very definitely satisfied, if you like, uh, my ego needs, but uh, didn't really satisfy very much of anything else. And so it was a search for me. There was nothing spiritual about it. Uh, I liked religions, but was also angry at them, didn't believe in them, studied theology, um, studied uh, uh, world religions at school, uh, along with Greek mythology. I had a lot of things in my head that I was trying to say. And I said to myself, there's something in all of this, but there's no shape to it yet. So I was looking for the shape of all of the all of these very different components that uh, made up my life while I was growing up. Um, and that was really it. It was the search for balance. It was a search for this is me. And as the French say, I'm happy in my skin. I see. So what happened? You went, you, you had the heart attack, unfortunately. It was sort of a, you called it uh, a aha moment. And so what happened in your transformation? Well, that, that particular aha moment, I have to say I've had many, but that's most probably one of the biggest aha moments. Um, and um, that, that particular one was about the balance between, if you like, dreams, our daydreams and our night dreams and our willpower. And I understood this is not all about willpower because I am doing everything I can to recover from this heart attack. And, uh, and I can't. I am still, you know, physically uh, uh, very sick and uh, nothing is happening. So it's obviously not about willpower. And up until that point in my life, I had really lived it through willpower. Everything I'd achieved it had been at a tremendous cost for me, uh, but I'd done it through willpower. Hmm. And so the aha moment was, this is not about willpower. It's another paradigm. Hmm. So, so the, the different paradigm is, is what? I think, well, for me, the theme in my life has been balance. It's not left or right brain. It's not willpower or dreams. It's, finding the balance between the two opposites. So by that we mean that there is a flow. I mean, some people would put it this way. This is where I would put it. That there's a flow to the universe, that there's this tau, there's a underlying uh, uh, movement. And even though we have our individual lives to lead when we depart from our core essence, our core connection to the flow, we often run into trouble. Now that's, that's framed in a very sort of common way, but is, is it something like that? Like, like you felt like you felt you were departing from a mission you had or from, no. or no. okay. It was, it was nothing as clear as that. You know, the words that came to me while you were uh, just talking just now, and it was a very wise person once said these words, when you pray, move your feet. Hmm. Yeah, I see. That's, that's and that, that for me uh, sums up beautifully what I'm trying to say uh, uh, most probably very badly. And that is, there is a strong desire that becomes an intention that becomes a prayer, depending on your particular viewpoint and the words that you're comfortable with. But that's not all that's needed. 
as the say as the as the speaker said you need to move your feet that means you need to do something to make it happen you're not guiding what's happening in any way shape or form you've set your outcome and you've let it go and you've got on with your life but while you're doing while you're getting on with your life both the business of your life and the joys of your life then there's well actually i know that i'm doing this so if uh one of my intentions is to earn a certain amount of money each year i set my intention i write it out every day and while i'm working i say well what's one thing that i'm doing today that's actually taking me or might take me a step closer to the realization of that intention but that's it i do no more than that wow that's it's it seems like that's the next step into personal development because we do have yeah. a lot of people who are praying to win the lottery and and to get a new car a new house or or whatever or make a lot of money but i like the way you put it which in this country we would call it uh walk the walk or <laughs> make your or actions speak louder than words there's all yeah. sorts, there's all sorts of ways to put it now give us something practical you know you just gave us one with with regard to writing out your goals mm -hmm. but what what kind of lesson did you learn at this point that taught you that you're on the right track more more laughter i laughed much more and I felt less dense corporeally. Uh, you might say that you feel lighter, but there was less time in, spent in those very debilitating, visceral emotions um, and more time spent in the lightness of life. And by the lightness, I mean the fun and the laughter and the childlike silliness. I remember one of my uh, closest girlfriends in the UK, um, her ex-husband once said to us, can't you stop being silly? And we said, no. Hmm. You know, because, because there's nothing better than, than finding something to laugh at for no other reason than you want to laugh. And you're not diminishing anybody in the process but you are just going back to the child in you and letting him or her out to play. Now, why do you think that laughter or humor comes out more when you're in this state of being? Because Life's not meant to be a struggle. Yeah, I completely agree with that because I think that we forget sometimes. I mean, I personally think that the reason why there is a sense of humor is because we're so lucky to be here. I mean, that's my own... That's my own <laughs> spin yeah. on the thing. I mean, it's such it's such an amazing miracle that we we overlook because of our daily chores and our pressures mm -hmm. and the stress we're under. Mm. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're talking with Susanna Axia from Italy about intuition and how we can better develop it. Now let's let's switch a little bit and let's talk about what you're doing now and and. How would you define what intuition is? Great question. I um, actually have had the most amazing uh, summer. Um, amazing because I've had various long-term health problems that have kept me uh, not working very much uh, and playing a lot, taking lots of walks, doing my exercises, taking care of myself. And this gives me time for my intuition to play. And oh boy, has it played this summer. And so from uh, one of the things that I've got from this summer is this. Two definitions of uh, intuition. And I actually call it intuitive intelligence, but that's something else. I define it as a mixture of the theoretical knowledge that we have stored in our brain, so stuff that we've studied, combined with our life experiences and our dreams. And when we put all of that together, we feel comfortable doing things that we can't always rationalize to other people. Hmm. So that's one definition. 
that, that appeals more to perhaps a left brain approach. The second one is based on Western and Chinese mythology around the phoenix. And Western mythology has it that the old bird sets itself alight to give birth from the hugely nutritious ashes of its old self. And Chinese mythology talks of the Feng Huang phoenix, who uh, in ancient Chinese mythology was sent to earth to perform completely extraordinary tasks at different stages of the world's progress in order to help humanity's development. The task completed, the phoenix returned to the heavens. And it was this rising from the ashes of our wounds, which is very much my psychology background, and the um, these extraordinary tasks that really resonated with me. So for me, intuition, if you like, putting those three definition, two definitions together, is a mixture of the left brain and right brain within us that allows us to take the leaps that we can't always rationalize. And those leaps allow us to become extraordinary, perhaps not by other people's standards, but by our own. And let's face it, that's all that really matters. Well, one thing that's evident is that everybody has intuition, I would assume. Yeah, but, absolutely. But a lot of people don't use it or yes. don't acknowledge it. So yeah. what, what do you do to help people better use their, let's say, God-given intuition? I use a mixture of uh, science. So I look back at the work done by Harvard professor of education, Howard Gardner, in the 1980s, when he blew open the whole discussion of there being a single marker of intelligence, IQ. And he said, no, 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 this is crazy. And throughout that decade, he started with five new forms of intuitive intelligence and then went on to other uh, to develop others and i use five of them his bodily kinesthetic intelligence which he called uh body and physical talents his interpersonal and intrapersonal intelligence which is what he called self smart and other smart his naturalist intelligence which is someone who is attuned to natural or natural world experiences. And Gardner ended up with spiritual intelligence, which is, in his words, an exploration of the nature of experience. So from his seven or nine forms, nine forms of intuitive intelligence, I think there are five of them, plus a few others, that go into what I call intuitive intelligence. So that's my starting point. We've all got it We've all, because we all have this intelligence. It's innate. It's a combination of all of these. Okay. Right. And then I use other forms of science, particularly neuroscience is blowing our understanding of what intuition is just, uh, it, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, I look at, I do a lot with uh, cognitive, archetypal, strengths, energy, psychology. So it's a mixture of the wisdom traditions plus psychology plus science. And I am in no way, shape or form a scientist. We understand this thing called tuition. And I think referring to Howard Gardner, who basically redefined what intelligence is by, mm -hmm. by finding different faculties of the human being and sort of using those as sort of a diversified test of intelligence. We know that. But what is it about intuition or about our resistance to using intuition that, that you help people uh, improve? I mean, how do you help people get better in tune with their intuition? Good question. Uh, the biggest block I find is either people are afraid they don't have it or they have it but they don't recognize it. So they don't act on it when it's working with them. So I've developed a simple approach of three 
forms of intuition because my feeling is that intuition isn't just, you know, a, a phoenix guidance system for the everyday business and joys of living. It's also something that leads us to and very successfully through our breakthrough moments. And so by working with clients on the three forms of intuition, uh, what I call them, how they work with us, why they work with us, then people can start to look back over their lives and say, oh, so are you saying that there, that was my, this form of intuitive intelligence working? Yes, absolutely. I'd like to better understand what what tips, I mean, I, I really think it's, it's um, compelling where you talk about being a gap coach and mm. and I think you, that you you describe being a gap coach as helping somebody close the gap between who they think they are and who they really are. Yeah. And why don't you talk a little bit about what this gap is and really what it is that we really are. Oh, massive question. Okay, well let's talk about who we think we are. And uh, basic psychology, uh, many of your listeners, I'm sure, will are much more expert at it than I am because I trained in educational psychology, which is a slightly different area. But in order to survive to adulthood, uh, there are basic needs that we need met. Uh, food, nourishment, warmth, some form of love or acceptance. And we're born to human beings who, while theoretically being able to be perfectly unconditionally loving parents, because of their unresolved wounds, aren't. Someone once said, our parents love us, it's just that they don't accept us. Hmm. And I, there's more in that than, than I think meets the eye, because we don't accept what triggers our own fears. And I think is particularly very young children are brilliant. They're masters at triggering and mirroring fears for their adult parents. So we grow up being limited by the fears that we've taken on board in order to get the acceptance, the security, and the food and warmth and clothing that we need in order to stay alive. So it then requires us to undertake a period of opening up to who we're not and saying, well, you know, why do I keep doing that? Why? Or why does this experience, you know, why do I keep getting lousy bosses who always underestimate me and never appreciate me, for example? You know, why do I always get a partner who wants me for my money or who uh, wants me to be the perfect housewife or, you know, whatever? Uh, so we start to ask questions and then that leads us to finding answers to those questions. And as we find answers to those questions, we realize that we begin to realize that we are very much more than our fears. So all of that area of my work is based on uh, Gardner and Goldman's in emotional intelligence work. Okay, so what are we then? I mean, what what is what is this underlying better self that we should be getting in touch with? There's no well, I, I don't think there's any one answer for that. I mean, I, the easy answer is to say the highest and very best version of you, the most able, the most capable, the most limitless. And I use limitless because uh, our societies, our birth families, or our surrogate families, our peer groups tend to limit us. And we limit ourselves uh, in order to get the acceptance and the security that we need because we're social animals. So it's coming away from those limitations and saying, well, what if, you know, what if 
the next time this thing happens to me, I don't reply, I don't respond, I don't react in the same way. What if I chose another way? What would happen then? Okay, well, let's see what happens. Wow, that happens. That was much better than I expected it to be. Is it a matter of, of sort of stopping for a moment and holding back on your what, what might be an automatic response? Like, say, for example, you have a child that's crying in the bedroom and your automatic response might be to yell or something. And, and instead of doing that, you sort of sit back and listen to your heart more and, and, and try to basically uh, hear what, you're, what is going on inside of you and, and, and use what you might call the intuition to shift your reaction. Is it something like that? It is something like that. I, this is all the emotional intelligence work, and a lot of emotional intelligence work is, I have to say, purely cognitive. Right. And so one thing that I did for me was to, obviously, I um, studied archetypal psychology. I love it. I use it a lot with students. And so I, I use the archetype of the researcher or the detective and so I do my Hercule Poirot bit and I say, wow, isn't that interesting? Why did I react like that? And many teachers say, don't ask the why question because you'll go to the defensive. I actually don't agree with that. I think it depends on the way you, you, you word the why question. But I think why questions are inevitable and indispensable. So I just say, isn't that interesting? Why did I respond like that? And you look at the habit and you dismantle the habit, and you dismantle it by saying, well, I responded like that because actually that person triggered in me a sense that I'm not good enough and I'll never be good enough. Okay, right. step one. Step two, is that true? No, of course not. Step three, so the next time someone triggers that in me, how would I like to behave? And then you take baby steps towards that behavior. So you say to yourself, what's the first thing I can do in order to stake, take one step closer to the way I would really like to behave? And the way I would really like to behave might be, that's very interesting. I never thought of it that way. Wow. Or thank you for that comment. That's something I want to develop a little bit. This is Philip Miriton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Susanna uh, Axia from Italy. She is a gap coach whose mission is to help people close the gap between who they are and who they think they are. And I'd like to shift a little bit here and develop a point that you just raised about sort of fulfilling a better vision of yourself because mm -hmm. because this is something that it, that I think is very important and it's something that I try to do Hillary Clinton has this saying about faking it till you make it mm -hmm. and in many ways people that are successful they they play a role they in they envision who they want to be, who they aspire to be, what, or what their vision might be. And then, then they try to take steps to achieve that vision. Mm. And that, that is sort of a, a secret of success, I think, if you read about biographies or autobiographies of many great people. It's mm. always, there's a common theme there where they where uh, Shakespeare wanted to be a playwright or, or Beethoven wanted to be a musician. And they, they project that vision and then they take steps there. And it seems like you're saying something similar on a mm. personal level, on, yeah. on a personal level, which I, I really think is, is great. And I, I'd like to, first of all, see if I'm anywhere close to, to what you're saying, but because I really believe this is how we we become better people you sort of shift away from that automatic response you said earlier that we are a product or intuitions a product of our intelligence 
our our um, experiences and our dreams mm. and many in many cases we are trying to break away from our life experiences we're trying to mm. break away and and have a better experience and because if we always continue those same life experiences we're just going to perpetuate maybe some bad history yeah the thing is, though, we don't want to break away entirely because that's the whole. That's why I resonate so much with the idea of the phoenix around intelligence, because the the young phoenix grows from the ashes of all of the life experiences, uh, everything from the old uh, phoenix who's just gone up in flames, and there is a, a wealth of wisdom. Um, and of choice from our habitual behaviors, even if they are very, very limiting. But we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, okay, well, it, you know, everything about my past experiences were bad. They weren't. They were there for a reason. And, and, and it's really important that we discover that reason. What is this telling me? And what a habitual behavior can be telling you is as simple as you are not this. The, the idea, it seems, is to put our lives on a better, more productive track. And by using the whole self and by getting in touch with, as you would say, our intuition. Mm. And I'd like to... Ask you with when you're advising people about closing the gap. Mm. What are some practical tips you give? Great question. Most of my clients um, have got the most magnificent torturer in their heads. <laughs> I think, I it's think a, we all it's that. the classic case of people knowing intellectually knowledge but not knowing it in every cell of their body. I mean, uh, my understanding of science is that we have billions of cells in our body. We now know that each cell has its own intelligence and many scientists call this intelligence a brain. So I say that you don't know something until you know it in every cell of your body. So that when the mind torturer steps in and it, uh, it garrots you so that your head is separated from your body the information is still in your body so you can use it. And so when, I, when clients come to me, uh, either in group work or in individual work, um, when I hear them saying, well, I know this and I know that and I know the other, I'll just say, okay. Put what you want. Just remind yourself in very simple English of what you want or Italian, depending on which language I'm working in. Uh, remind yourself what you want. Tell me again what it is you want. Very good. Now, put those words into your body. Usually, I start out with the heart area. And I say, I don't want you to tell me what you think. I want you to tell me what you feel. Does your heart, how does your heart feel? Is this pressure? Does it feel tight? Is there tension? Is there heaviness? Is there lightness? Is it relaxed? Is, is your heart area, does it feel expansive? So I take them into the body. It seems to me that you're hitting on something here that is often overlooked in our Western culture, and I am guilty of it as well is that we tend to focus on mind intelligence so much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and even, even in science, quantum theory, which we talk about a lot on this show, and we talk about consciousness and mind intelligence, the fact of the matter is, is that if there, if there is a different perspective on the world, which I think there is for modern science, the perspective would be from the inner to the outer. That's the simplest way I could put it. Yeah. That, that our experiences, that our life, that our world is a product of inner states. And that 
that if that's true, and I think it is, but if it is true hypothetically, the interstates include an overriding supply of emotions. It's not just intelligence. And if what you're saying is that going through our intellectually or left-brain-driven decisions, if we, if we filter in our emotions, well, how do you feel about that? It, that's, a, that's powerful, I think, because it's so often we know that something is wrong or not the best, but we do it anyways because we're driven by by our either our egos or intelligence we're not mm -hmm. doing what feels right in, absolutely in, 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 and i'll let you into a little known uh secret except that it, it's not a secret really and that is most people think that we have five senses we don't <laughs> we don't neuroscience is in uncovering new senses i won't say every day i, I suspect that that's uh, an exaggeration, but pretty regularly. And they're un they are revealing these new senses uh, through uh, neuroscience's work at looking at what might be considered to be defects. So uh, they've looked at autistic savants to find out, you know, how autistic savants who are great at mathematics have this amazing memory for numbers and can add up the most amazing string of numbers and they don't add it up, they just seem to arrive at the number. Yeah. And they've realized that it's not something that is defective in an autistic savant's brain, it is an area of the brain that they use and we don't. Mm. And the, the, my latest... Uh, foray into the science of the senses uh, revealed that scientists are a little bit confused about how many senses we may have. The lowest uh, thought is we have eight. The highest number is we have uh, anywhere up to 32 different senses. Well, I, I think that a lot of people in this day and age would agree with you because we are still unlocking the mysteries of our inner states. That's the way yeah. I would put it. I mean, yeah. we're so used to our physical states, mm. our, mm. our senses. Mm. But with things like extrasensory perception, which by its term is a sixth sense, or there's probably more than that. And then there is this whole area of spiritual sense that when we read uh, books by Eastern writers, uh, Eastern philosophers or 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 yoga masters, for example, they're they're talking about these these other senses of the mind or the self that seem foreign to us. I mean, it's it's amazing to me when I read books and I about the, the Eastern thinkers that they spend so much time developing their inner senses, mm -hmm. and we tend to spend the Western world. In many instances, we tend to spend all this time on our physical on our physical senses, yeah. making our eyesight better, working out with uh, mm. hearing aids, <laughs> smell, smells, etc. But there's yeah. it seems to me like there's a much wider world to develop inside of ourselves than outside of ourselves. From I I, I don't have uh, I can't remember. I'm trying to remember the statistics and I can't, but. Uh, I have a two-year Master of Intuition course, and in, we have 12 modules. Most of them are four days, two of them are five days long, where we do some pretty intensive work. The first year is all cognitive. The second year is developing what I call both the above-the-radar senses, which are sight, sound, and the five that we know about, and the below-the-radar senses. And um, uh, in one of the modules, we look at how our senses and our ability to understand the world is governed by our language. And the whole point of the what I call the below-the-radar senses is that you almost have to develop a new language for them. There are amazing statistics about the number of pieces of information the brain consciously, the conscious brain, uh, processes in a minute or a second and the subconscious 
brain processes. And it's like one to, uh, you know, it, the ratio is like one subcon uh, one conscious piece to uh, almost a million uh, uh, subconscious pieces of information. We are the most powerful data collection unit, the most sophisticated. And even if we just see it in terms of our chakras, every single one of our chakras is um, uh, collecting information. There's a, a really simple exercise to do with your hands, and that's rub them as though you're rubbing two sticks together to make a fire, because the ends of your hands have millions of nerve endings. Um, and just doing that one starter exercise, your hands become more sensitive to the energy that's around you. I think that 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 does work. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion. We're speaking with Susanna Axia, from, who's joining us from Italy. We're speaking about how to find your own intuition. I'd like to switch to neuroscience just a little bit here because one thing that is a little different from your approach is that you have incorporated some of the findings of neuroscience into what you're doing. Now, what do you think are the one or two key things that neuroscience is doing to, to support your intuition model? Neuroscience is, is blowing apart a very, very, very limited understanding of the brain. So uh, whereas the wisdom traditions would teach us something, the, uh, I don't know the correct, the correct term from them, but the brain scans uh, can show us that that area of the brain actually lights up. So uh, neuroscience teaches us what we've had to take on trust for 2,000 or more years, and that is that there are very easy to see now with our technology physiological changes in the brain and the body that take place when we give ourselves choices about who we are, when we admit to the possibilities of, of who we are. So that's one thing. And the other thing is this, for me, blowing apart our, our very limited understanding of what our senses are. A lot of folks probably haven't done a lot of studies in neuroscience, and it's not something that the common reader um, picks up on. There's not a lot of popular books on neuroscience. But I think that one of the sort of exciting parts of neuroscience, in this area at least, is the way that neuroscience is finding physical correlates yeah. to what in other instances would be considered to be sort of supernatural, spiritual elements or something. I mean, it's yeah. it's sort of like, well, if in our modern world, our modern era, you know, spiritualism in many sciences' minds is something that's a nice thought but doesn't have any physical correlate. And it seems it seems to me that from what I've seen of, of newer science is that there is they're finding correlations, as you're saying. Uh, mm. Through through mapping the brain uh, and modeling, Physical absolutely, and things. it's not just neuroscience. Epigenetics is is helping uh, the research that's being done by Heart Math Institute. Uh, the research on mindfulness. There's a wealth of science out there, which is really easy to understand. Uh, guys like uh, Dean Radin. Um, Bruce Lipton, Candace Pert, uh, there's, there's now too many of them to, to mention. Right. Scientists who have not just a passion for science, but uh, an amazing talent to be able to explain it in very simple ways, in ways that even I can understand. And I say even I can understand because for years I stayed away from the science. I don't have a single science qualification. Uh, I used to my, my science lessons were a disaster for me. I would faint at the sight of blood uh, uh, in, in, or faint at the idea of blood. So me and science did not get on at all. But uh, I had a radio program on Contact Talk Radio in the States for five years. 
And I reviewed books on uh, self-development literature. And more and more books were coming to me that were written by scientists. And I thought, I'm missing out on a whole area here that seems to me to be intuitively very, very important. This, And I just set my intention, bring me the right authors for me. And great authors to begin with are people like Norm Sheely, Bruce Lipton, Candace Pert, too, too many to mention, Lynn Taggart, not a scientist herself, but a, a, a journalist. These people are great at getting you hooked and then allowing you to go and find other brilliant people like Robert Ornstein, who writes fantastic stuff, uh, and all of the others. And I say, I, I say to, to my clients, I am not a scientist. Uh, I, can't, I can only give you the merest outline of this. But if you want to know more, go read up on these people. And what's important here, that is a theme of this show, is this merging of science and I'm gonna say spirituality. The, the term science for too long, I think, has only been associated with the materialistic or mechanical view of the world. And, but science itself is much broader than that. Science mm. is a objective uh, testing of hypothesis backed up by real world experiences. And we all have these experiences ourselves. We see it in other people. And it's these internal experiences that are repeated by a lot of people and across the globe and across cultures that are starting to me form a database of evidence in support of these ideas. Now, now Susanna, I, before we close, I'd like you to really talk about some of the, the key uh, pieces of advice that you can give to listeners about how they could better get in tune with their intuition. I know you've talked about this a little bit, but I want to I want to leave the listener with with some key pointers here, uh, including how to get in touch with you after the show. Mm -hmm. But okay. but in terms of what is the main takeaway message or two that you would give listeners to take advantage of your insights into into intuition. Okay, first that we all have intuition. Um, it's like the footprints in the sand that you don't see until you turn back and look at them. Um, so allow yourself to understand that you have it. Allow yourself to accept that you have it. And then it's easier for you, and science has proved this with on, without a shadow of a doubt, that you know once you believe something, you allow yourself to believe it, then you see it more often. And you don't see it until you believe it. Allow yourself to believe that you have intuition and that it's working with you. The second thing is understand that it isn't a battle between left brain or right brain. It is a balance of both. Otherwise, you get what Robert Ornstein refers to as context without form or form without context. You need your studies. You need what you've learned because you need to put them together with what you dream. Well, that's because weird. that's the beauty of intuition. It's the coming together of the cognitive and the spiritual to give you more choices. When you get to that decision point, mm. and if you follow your instructions, which are, I think are very helpful, and you're, in, and you're trying to get in balance, left brain, right brain, intelligence, emotion, what, what voice do you listen to to make that final call? Okay, great question. And this leads me on really beautifully to the third thing, and that is don't ignore your senses, develop them, because the first thing that, you'll, that most people listen to are their brains, and that's great. But then don't let it uh, go on and on and on. Stop it. Say, okay, you've had your five minutes. That's great. That's interesting. Because if you don't, you'll trigger the inner critic who will just tell you that you can't do things, okay? Right. So your brain might tell you, in the past, this has never worked. 
fine, now I'm going to use my emotional intelligence and say, well, okay, it never worked because I did this. So what would happen if I changed the way I respond to that? Okay, now I have more choices. Which one do I feel is most appropriate for me at the time? Now I go into my body and I, I use my below the radar senses and I do the, the heart exercise or the, the second chakra if you prefer, the second or third chakra, wherever you get the most activity in your body, what's happening in that area of my body when I put that idea into it. So it's accept the voice in your head that's telling you what your past experience has brought you, okay? So it's accept your experience, then give yourself the choice by saying, well, okay, what would happen if I changed that slightly? Einstein said beautifully, didn't he, that his definition of madness was doing the same thing over uh, again and again and again and expecting a different result. Right. Don't do that. Get, put yourself in the first step of that's what's happened up till now. But then let me look at how that result, how I've achieved that result. I've achieved that result because I've always done this one thing. What, happened, what would happen if I changed this one thing? Fine. What choices do I have? Fine. Now let's look at those choices. And let's put each one of those choices into my body to say, how does this feel as a potential substitute or replacement for my habitual and limiting behavior in this area? Yeah, that's, I think that's really good advice. And ultimately, a decision has to be made. You know, you come to that fork in the road and it's something as simple as, you know, do you invest the money or do you buy property or do you take a job or st a new job or stay in the job that you're in mm. and i i tend to think that ultimately most people do go on gut which is another way to put uh, intuition mm. uh, and but i think the method that you're that you're um talking about here is is really good because it brings to the surface this balance that's so important and if nothing else it it makes you make a more well-rounded decision and I, and then Absolutely. i believe and then i believe uh, what you said earlier equally important is to then take steps to fulfill your decision it's mm. not just okay this is what i decided to do you sort you have to follow through as well mm. i would yeah. say Absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, this is very much the hallmark, hallmark of my work. It's about balance. And, you know, I, I am also a, a channel for an ascended master who's called in the Western tradition uh, Lord Lanto, but who was in a previous life Lao Tzu, the father of the Tao, um, the best proponent of balance that I've, I've ever come across. And he's been the most amazing uh, teacher for me. But unless you mix the limited you of your life experiences, past life experiences, with the unlimited you of your dreams, and you find some way to use the two of them together, then you're not going to reach your potential. It's the mixture of the both that unlocks who you are to you. And it might sound, you know, th this, this, uh, this way of, uh, of working through and working with your intuition and balancing your, your brain uh, with your intuition, it might sound a bit, uh, a bit difficult. You think, well, you know, when I'm in a stressful situation, I can't do that. That's very true. There are different forms of intuition that work with you in different situations, but most of us spend most of our time in one or two forms of uh, intuition. And in those two forms, just give yourself time. Don't give up on this because you will start out do it going, moving through this process quite slowly, but in the end you'll do it in, in the blink of an eye. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything as inspiring as telling people to take steps to fulfill a better vision of yourself. And I, I love it when 
we we start talking about uh, ingraining your dreams into your daily lives mm. we're so uh, um, sort of caught sometimes by culture conditioning we're we're taught that we are uh, animals that we have these instincts that can't be tamed that we're machines and many of these things I think ultimately limit who we can be and even if that's all true which I don't think it is but even if that would be true uh, ie we are machines it, it it cannot hurt to take that dream of what you want to be and take steps to fulfill it and I think that's I think that's really good stuff now you mentioned uh, that you're a channel and I want to touch upon this briefly because I did see that and we've had some channels on this on this show that that must have been uh, a, a later transformation after your heart attack is that true uh, yes it came uh, 10 years later uh, but I was really pushed into it I uh, I didn't want to go there I mean I famously said to when I went for a channeling session with one of my teachers um, and the ascended master that she was channeling said uh, suggested that I, sh I taught intuition and I just turned around and said I know you're very wise and all that master but I do not do intuition and that went on for uh, about eight years until I did a master of metaphysics course in in Australia and on the second day I was told you are a trance channel and I cried for a month, I have to say. It hit every fear wow. in my body, and I had to work through them. But then I'm a pragmatist, and I just wrote to my teacher and said, okay, if I've got this gift, I want to use it well. So do you know anybody in Europe who could teach me? And she said, no, I don't know anybody I could recommend you to, but I will teach you. So she came over, gave me a five-day intensive, and then the rest was me, uh, doing uh, up to a minimum of one and a maximum of five sessions each day where I would sit down with a recorder and just say to the universe, okay, I'm ready. And I just open my mouth and let the words come out. Wow. And, this, and I understand you're working on a book about the, channel, the, the channeling uh, lessons. Is that right? Yeah, it's one of my, he's actually French, but uh, he lives in Oslo in Norway. And he came up to me uh, about a year and a half ago and said, have you ever thought of writing a book? And I said, yes, and I know I have to write one. But I'm still at the stage where I think that, you know, whatever I have to offer uh, has been said uh, much better by others. And he didn't give up, bless him. Hmm. And... Um, and eventually it got round to, well, how about if we did a channeled book and you just channeled the answer of the master? And I said, well, that would be absolutely perfect because then it wouldn't be my book. Yeah. So, so he asked the questions and uh, I channel uh, them. And it's going to turn into more than one book. But what's coming out of it is absolutely phenomenal. I don't remember. That's how I know I'm channeling. I don't remember what I've said or what has been said through me. So uh, Paul and another friend, Jan, uh, uh, both clients who are involved in helping me get this book up and running, uh, they tell me with huge smiles on their face what the master said, and it's, it's great fun. Wow, that is something else. And we don't have time to explore this fascinating topic of channeling, but it's, it seems to me that it is becoming more and more prevalent, or... Uh, more and more channelers are co are coming out in the open and discussing these experiences they're having being channels for another realm out there. Uh, uh, we are at the end. I, why don't you uh, tell the listeners, Susanna, how they might learn more about you and where to pick up your book when it comes out on on the on the channeled messages um the website which is horrifically uh out of date uh because my work this year has it has changed dramatically really with all of the information that's coming through is thegapcoach.com gap g-a-p 
Uh, and I'm on Facebook as The Gap Coach. I'm on Pinterest as The Gap Coach. I'm on YouTube as The Gap Coach. I'm on LinkedIn uh, as uh, Susanna Axisa, I think. But the best way to stay in touch with me and find out what's happening and how you can get together with me is on my Facebook page at The Gap Coach. Uh, the book we're hoping to have out either by the end of this year or uh, next year. It depends how my health goes, quite honestly. Uh, and uh, that will be an e-book. So will we be selling it uh, perhaps through the website and perhaps through Amazon. I think Amazon is the most likely contender at the moment. And we're, I'm also uh, developing a lot of my work because I'm traveling around the world far less now um, for online learning platforms. So you'll see more of me on places like Amazon and, and Udemy and all of those. Well, that's great. And once again, I'd like to thank you for your time and joining us from Italy uh, today. I think we've learned a lot about how to find your own intuition, how to make better decisions, how to balance the left brain with the right brain. This is Philip Mirton. This is Conversations Beyond Science and Religion, and we'll see you next week. You've been listening to Conversations Beyond Science and Religion with Philip Mirton. To find out more about Philip and his new book, The Heaven at the End of Science, visit heaven at the end of science.com.